0: She had to pinch herself. Was she really about to do this? Nothing in the past four years of her life should have led her to be where she was right now. The arrest, the probation, missing her shot, getting arrested again, and doing time. Yet here she was, about to tell her story to a group of really important people at the Super Bowl. I'm Nathan Havy.
1: And I'm Amanda Catherine Roman. Welcome back for the eighth episode of 10 Things You Should Know About Stakeholder Capitalism. In this episode, we are going to meet a chef named Chad Hauser, who runs a restaurant so amazing that the NFL asked him and a group of interns he employs to travel all the way from Dallas to Miami to host a pop-up dinner at Super Bowl 54 in 2020.
0: What makes this restaurant so good? As you may have guessed, it's more than the food. It's the eighth thing you should know about stakeholder capitalism.
2: My name is Chad Hauser and in 2007, I sold my house, took all the equity out of it, took out a loan, and I bought into a restaurant in the uptown area of Dallas. I grew the business by almost 40% and was nominated as best up and coming chef in the city of Dallas. I was on the board of a very small nonprofit. We were putting together an ice cream competition featuring local culinary students. And a gentleman that was on the board asked if he could bring eight young men from juvenile detention to participate. And everybody thought it was a wonderful idea. He said, well, I just need to find somebody to teach them how to make ice cream. And everybody in the room pointed at me and said, oh, he'll do it. If I'm being candid, I had the stereotype in my head. I'm gonna go out to a jail. These are gonna be prisoners, albeit kids, still prisoners. I had stereotyped the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they were gonna treat me, their disposition. I didn't think they were gonna give two flips about me going out there. The moment that I met those eight young men was one of the most shameful moments in my life. I realized immediately that I had stereotyped them and I was wrong. They all looked me in the eye and called me sir. In 23 years of cooking, I've been called a lot of names in a lot of languages in a lot of kitchens. Just never ever in any language was it sir. That shame led to humility and that humility led me to spend the next three and a half hours, more importantly than teaching them to make ice cream, listening to them tell me who they were, how they were and why they were. Two days later, here they are competing against college culinary students. And at the end of the competition, one of them actually won the whole thing. He comes running up to me and he gets in my face and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, "'Sir, I just love to cook!' And I just threw my hands up and got in his face and screamed back at him, "'Sir, me too!' And he said, I just love to make food and give it to people and put a smile on their face. That's exactly why I love cooking. It was about feeding the soul, not just your belly. And then he said, when I get out, I'm going to get a job in a restaurant. And he looked at me and said, sir, where do you think I should work? Wendy's or Chili's? Looked right back at him and said, heeding the advice of my father, whoever hires you first and whoever pays you the most money second. And then I drove home. And when I was driving home, I thought about his story. And I started to realize he's never gonna make it to a Wendy's or Chili's. He's gonna go right back to the same house, the same street, the same neighborhood, the same school, the same poverty. All of those factors and determinants that had pushed him on a path to detention his life was predetermined. It's been dictated by choices that were made for him before he was ever born. And I started thinking about me. So was mine. The color of your skin matters. The socioeconomic class you're born in matters. The part of town you're born in matters. The resources you have access to, the health care you have access to, these things matter and there was nothing I had ever done in my life to earn those things, they were just given to me. This kid was given one opportunity to show the world who he was. And when given that one opportunity, he rose up. And I just remember thinking to myself, I can either walk away and go about my life, or I can lean in and be a part of something better. And so that was it for me. I started volunteering my time at the juvenile department. The same gentleman that had volunteered me to go work with the kids was trying to volunteer me to build a chef mentorship program. And I kept thinking, man, do you know chefs? They're assholes. (laughs) That is not putting the kids in an environment to succeed. But I kept listening and the staff in the juvenile department talked a lot about consistency and stability. And then when the kids would tell you what's going on in their lives and their stories, It revolves around the need for consistency and stability. And I thought I could build a restaurant that would be a consistent and stable environment for these kids to come to. I think this is a great idea. And I start going to people and saying, hey, listen, I've got this grand idea. I'm going to open a nonprofit restaurant. I'm going to take kids out of jail. I'm going to teach them to play with knives and fire. And I just need a million dollars to do it they would say things to me like, well, what are you going to do when the kids stab each other in the kitchen? Those kids don't want to work. They just want to collect a check. Those kids have never been to a nice restaurant. They can't cook your food. I remember thinking two things. Number one is you wouldn't say that if those kids were white. The second thing I was thinking is you wouldn't say that if you knew them. I realized that we had to eradicate that stereotype. In June of 2011, we held our first Cafe Momentum pop-up dinner. And the idea behind the pop-ups was very simple. Go in one of the top restaurants in Dallas on a Sunday night when they're closed, sell tickets to a four-course menu. And then the staff were eight young men that we would bus in from a juvenile detention facility. I had no faith or confidence that anybody was going to show up. We decided that we would sell tickets for $50, which was a steal, And within 24 hours, we had oversold the dinner. That first dinner, it was uh, to some degree Murphy's Law. We set the fire alarm off and the fire department showed up 30 minutes into us arriving and cooking in the kitchen. Some kids were drinking leftover glasses and showed up back at detention that night intoxicated. But every single kid had this sense of pride like they had never experienced in their life. And every guest when they left, looked me in the eye and either gave me a hug or shook my hand and said, you know, this could be my son. Fast forward to December of 2011, we doubled the ticket price from $50 to 100 and the dinner sold out in 15 minutes. By spring of 2012, the dinners were selling out in 15 seconds. It was literally the hottest ticket in town. In the summer of 2012, I sat down with my business partner And told her, I need to walk the talk. She said, what does that mean? And I said, well, it's one thing to tell the kids that you believe in them. It's something very different to prove it. It's going to take a million dollars to open a restaurant. So unless we want to do pop-up dinners for 20 years, the restaurant's never going to open. And at some point, you're lying to the kids. When you're telling them that you're doing these dinner to open restaurants, I need to show the kids that I was willing to bet everything on them. Effective September 1st, 2012, I walked away from my restaurant, sold my partnership interest, and focused my full attention on opening the brick and mortar cafe momentum. You're still dealing with funders looking at two things. Number one is what's the failure rate of restaurants? You're asking me to invest in a concept that has a 70% failure rate. Second thing is what's the failure rates of nonprofits? So what we built in is a social return investment. In Texas, it costs about $127,000 to lock up a youth. Almost 50% of the young people that are locked up once will reoffend, usually within 12 months. Once they go back a second time, it's done. They're going to spend the rest of their life going in and out, in and out, in and out. We were tracking recidivism through the pop-up dinners and our recidivism rate was 15%. So with that proper intervention, there's an immediate cost savings to society. By not going back and by working, now they're actually putting money into the community. So you're eliminating the negative part of the scale and now you're just adding positive to it. There was an actual tangible return on investment. It took three and a half years of pop-up dinners, but we did it. Cafe Momentum opened in January 2015. In the last five and a half years, we've been consistently ranked as one of the best restaurants in Dallas, which we take a lot of pride in because it proves that our staff can and will rise to whatever level of expectation is set for them. Cafe Momentum is a 12 month paid post-release internship for young men and young women exiting Dallas County juvenile detention facilities. And over the course of that 12 months, they actually work their way through every station in the restaurant. They spend time being a dishwasher, prep cook, line cook, busser, server, host, food runner. We do that for three reasons. Number one is, as they're beginning to learn new life skills and social skills, they're applying them to the different stations in the restaurant. One of the things we focus on is how to disagree appropriately. And so the way in which you would appropriately disagree with a fellow line cook in the kitchen when you're trying to get food out for 15 tables at once is very different than the way in which you would appropriately disagree with a customer that sat down 10 minutes ago and is complaining that they've waited 45 minutes for their food. The second thing they're learning is what are their strengths? What are their interests? What are they good at? They've never been put in a position to thrive and to see what they're good at. One of my favorite stories about that is one Saturday night we ran a special and we told the kids, whoever sells the most specials gets a free entree at the end of the night. Well, this one young man sold us out of every special in the first 45 minutes we were open and he wasn't even waiting tables. He was a busser. And he realized that he was the first point of contact to every table because he was pouring water. He deployed his sales pitch and he ended it with So you just let your server know that DJ told you to order the special. That's a skill you could take with you. And then the third thing, and maybe most important, is they're learning what it means to be a team player. And when you're a young man or young woman whose life up to this point is by and large been based on survival, you're not afforded the opportunity to receive the rewards of being a team player. Anyone that's ever worked in a restaurant knows that the most important role in a restaurant is a dishwasher. A dishwasher literally can make or break anybody's job in a restaurant. And the last thing we do every night is every intern, when they're leaving the door, I always want to give them a hug and tell them I love them. I want their lasting thing to know when they walk out the door is that they're loved and know that when they come back the next day, they're coming to a place that they're loved. It used to be me always prompting them. Now it's always them saying, uh, am I going to get my hug? Cafe Momentum is an ecosystem of support. So in addition to working in the restaurant, we have an entire team of case managers We have a staff psychologist, curriculum coordinator, education coordinator, program director. We are holistically addressing all of those issues and barriers that had previously pushed them on a path to detention. Last year, we worked with 182 kids. 42% of them were homeless. That number has been as high as 62% in the past if you're coming to work and we're trying to teach you life skills and social skills and employment skills and build your confidence, you're not really thinking about any of that stuff if you don't know where you're going to sleep that night. We have to provide stabilization, addressing housing, addressing food insecurity. Through a partnership with our county hospital, all of the kids not only have access to free medical care, they have access to an actual primary care physician And within the first 60 days that they enter our program, they're going and getting a physical. Once we've addressed those kind of core basic issues, then we go on to the foundation building. So that's things where we do a lot of arts programming, which provides in some sense therapy, but also owning your own inner creativity. We do financial literacy training classes, career exploration, sex education. The kids go get bank accounts, government issued ID in order for them, when they're leaving us, be on a trajectory to achieve their full potential in life. One of our first ever graduates, the young man named Abisayi, the son of Mexican immigrants who came to Texas for a better life. They worked jobs that immigrants work, which typically means a lot of hours and not a lot of pay. When Abbasayi was 14, they got divorced. Divorce for him meant that they went from a household struggling to get by to two households that were really, really having a hard time. I'm 14 years old and I'm hungry, and so is my little brother. We need to eat more, but I don't want my mom to feel bad. I don't want my dad to feel bad. That meant that Abbasayi, at 14 years old, was struck with, how do I make money? so that I can get these things. Unfortunately, there's no legal businesses hiring you at 14 years old. One thing led to another and he ended up going to jail, got out, went through our program. Upon graduating our program, he went to work for a hotel, one of our employment partners. And at 17 years old, he was making $1,000 a week with full health benefits, paid vacation and a 401k. January of 2017, I watched him walk across the stage as the first ever high school graduate of his family. Today, Abbasai is a junior at the University of Texas at Arlington, where over the last summer, he won a major award from NASA and participated in an internship program with them. He just joined the ROTC program so that his college will be paid for and plans to get his PhD and go to work for NASA full time. What I didn't tell you about that story is, in the process, he also became a father to two little girls. The story is no longer about him. It's about them. And it's about the fact that that cycle has been disrupted and changed in his family. Cafe Momentum is an opt-in opportunity. There is no court mandate or probation requirement. Once a young person shows interest in our program, they sign up for orientation. Six classes over two weeks. Orientation starts at 530 and at 531, the doors lock. And if you're late, you're absent. You get one absence before you have to wait and do orientation again. We don't do that to be negative, but we do that to set expectation and to have a productive conversation with the kids. Instead of telling them they're bad, we tell them, I believe in you. I know you can do this. I want you here. What can I do to help you get here on time next time? And I am not kidding you when I say those kids show up for the next orientation cycle three hours before orientation starts and they sit and wait. Once they finish orientation, they start as a tier one intern. As they round out to tier four, that's when they begin uh, writing their resume and doing mock interviews. It's also where they've identified their strengths and interests and they'll actually interview for an externship position with one of our employment partners where they're working part-time with them, part-time with us. And that ultimately eases their transition out of the program. Once they've completed the fourth tier and they're now full-time in their new job, what we do is we allow them to come to dinner during a normal dinner service night and bring their family. During dinner service, while the dining room is full of people and everyone's eating and enjoying themselves, we pull out the microphone and completely stop down dinner service. And we tell them, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special person here tonight. This young person has completed our program and we introduce them and they'll stand up and the whole room goes crazy. Sometimes it's the first time they've had that positive experience with their entire family. And then, of course, we give them the graduate shirt, which says, I cooked, I served, I graduated. We did a collaborative art piece called the I'm Thankful Plate Project with a local artist here in Dallas, Shane Pennington. One whole side of the restaurant, there are 49 plates on that wall, each plate designed by an intern, white plate with black writing and painting, and simply the only thing they're told is put something you're thankful for on the plate. There are young people that write, I'm thankful for second chances. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for a new day. I'm thankful to be alive. And then the young person actually goes to the wall and pulls that plate off the wall and takes it to the kitchen. And then when they're serving it to the table, it's a reminder to the intern to be grateful that this group of people has decided to spend their time with us that evening and supporting us that evening. But it's also a reminder to the guest that this young person who has previously been deemed a throwaway is rebuking that stereotype and instead focusing their life on achieving their true potential. And for that, we should all be grateful. At Cafe Momentum, we look at a double bottom line. One bottom line is, How is the restaurant functioning in the world of profitability? Are we maximizing the revenue from the restaurant to offset cost? We can never compromise the fact that we are a teaching space, so we can't forego teaching staff to save a buck, but what we can do is look for opportunities to build more revenue and increase revenue to offset costs in the restaurant. The other bottom line we look at is the social return on investment. Over the five and a half years that we've been open, it's taken in the ballpark of $4 million to operate. We've worked with 900 kids. We've reduced the recidivism rate from 48% to 15%, which means that from a taxpayer standpoint, we've created an almost $40 million return on a $4 million investment. I have to be very intentional to route that credit back to the kids. I am a 44-year-old white man that operates a program where 63% of the young people are black, 35% are Latinx. I need to constantly be aware of unpacking my own personal privilege and push people to begin thinking about their own. There's a myriad of obstacles that interns face going through the program. Systemic racism, being targeted. There are a lot of kids that are doing great in our program and they have to quit because they have to stay home and take care of their siblings so their parent can work. Some kids, public transportation becomes an insurmountable barrier. Some kids, their parents move so much that it becomes too difficult. A year ago, within a two-week span... We had three young men in the program lose their moms. Two were murdered. But I think one of the things that is an awesome indicator of just how amazing these kids are is their perseverance and their drive to be successful in spite of all of that. One of my common sayings in the restaurant is I ask the kids, what's the standard? And they say excellence. And I say, why? And they say, because we're excellent. There is no textbook on opening a restaurant staffed by juvenile offenders. I've had kids threaten to attack me after work, get in front of my face and try to spit in it. Kids intentionally running into me, trying to knock me down. And I always thought by not reacting to that, you know, pulling them aside and asking them how they're doing and what's going on. I always thought I was giving them grace. 12 years into working with these kids and I still learn something new every single day. They are the recipient of the mistakes. Yet they continue to show up. Every night they continue to give me a hug and tell me they love me. They are giving me grace. The purpose of Cafe Momentum is bigger than just providing workforce development, just building an ecosystem of support, the ultimate purpose of Cafe Momentum is to change the way that the world views the kids, to change the way the juvenile justice system works as a whole. When a kid comes from trauma, and when a kid comes from a lack of their social emotional needs being met, we shouldn't put them in handcuffs. We should give them a hug. And we shouldn't lock them up. We should lift them up. When we first opened Cafe Momentum, we were on a three-month wait for people to get in the restaurant. We still consistently are booked and sold out. I guess that Cafe Momentum should come in expecting to eat at one of the best restaurants in Dallas because by standards of all the local publications, that's what we are. You're not coming in for a charity experience. You're coming in for an incredible dining experience that just happens to be life transforming for not just the young person that's serving you, but for you as well.
0: Over the past eight episodes, we've met a lot of people like Chad who are spending their careers in pursuit of a higher purpose. But I think the thing I love most about this story is that Cafe Momentum is one small business, and it's having that kind of impact. Granted, it has a lot of help, but still. For me, this story shows the power a company has, even a small one, to solve a real problem in the world.
1: Chad didn't know what he was doing in the beginning. He just saw something that he felt needed to be done and used his skills and passion to learn what he needed to learn to make it happen. The eighth thing you should know about stakeholder capitalism is that you and your company can solve a real problem in the world too.
0: 10 Things You Should Know About Stakeholder Capitalism is a project of the Institute for Corporate Transformation. And this episode was edited by Nathan Church and produced by Heavy Pro Cinema and featured music from Jennerdine, Totlow, and Mr. Moo.
1: Ten Things You Should Know About Stakeholder Capitalism is written and directed by Nathan Havey. If you would like to dine at Cafe Momentum the next time you are in Dallas, you can make a reservation at cafemomentum.org.
0: And if you're not going to get to Dallas for a while, but you'd like to taste some of Chad's delectable fare, he and his current class of interns are opening a mail-order store where you can get all kinds of gourmet goodies from Cafe Momentum Kitchen delivered to your front door. The website, again, is cafemomentum.org.
1: In our next episode, we are going to pull back the curtain and give you a look at the machine that is at work all around the world to try and make stakeholder capitalism the default mode of business on Earth.
0: And the major obstacles that keep that from happening. It'll be inspiring and sobering, but it's important that we understand the systems that are at play. You know, I know several of the people on the CEO Roundtable, and they're well-intentioned people, but they're stuck in a system that says, you know, you can say all the
1: nice platitudes you want, But you better give me the value I expect out of this business. It may be a little controversial, but Episode 9 will not pull punches. As we said in our first episode, there is urgency to make this transformation happen. So get Episode 9 by subscribing to 10 Things You Should Know About Stakeholder Capitalism wherever you get your podcasts. Or when you visit stakeholdercapitalism.biz to see all the extra stuff we have for you there. We'll see you next time.